0: Okay, well, good morning, everyone. We, um, this is part nine, and then part 10, which is next week, finishes uh, the series that we've been looking at. And next week, we're just going to put together the other nine that we've looked at over the last um, few weeks. And so for today, I would like us, if we can, to turn to Uh, Three passages, so um, can somebody turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and then people who are turning there, if you would like to read, that would be great. If someone would like to turn also to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And then if someone else would like to turn to Romans chapter 15 and just find the exact verse rather than the section I've written down. Yeah, in fact, I'll, I'll read the Romans 15 bit because it's, it's a little bit long and it needs filling in. So uh, who would like to read uh, 2 Corinthians 3 verse... In fact, I'll pray, and then we can go straight into reading. Father God, we ask of you this morning, again, that you would continue to enlighten our minds with a view of transforming our hearts, so that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, this day and all days, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So, who would like to read the, the 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 passage? Anyone? Jedediah, excellent, thank you. Yeah, go on, you can stand up nice and loud. And we all unveiled with face beholding the glory of the Lord, are we transformed into the same image from one degree forward to another, of this comes in the Lord through the okay. Spirit. Thank you, Jedediah. So, in principle, um, that as we behold Christ, we become like Christ. That as we behold Christ's glory, we become like Christ. So we are transformed through worship. Who would like to read the Romans twelve passage, verses one and two? Anybody? Thank you, Susan. you and then I will read the Romans 15 uh, passage and this is Paul speaking to the church at Rome and he says um, talk about stepping on toes but notice what he says I myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, uh, acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And we will leave it there. So what I want you to consider this morning, that if you were to go home and sort of show your children in, or just as a family time around the table and think how can I put the whole of the gospel message into sort of one theme throughout um, scripture? romans is Romans actually does that for you. So if you read the beginning of Romans chapter one, you have people who are worshiping idols. Uh, to put this another way, you have false worship, or rather, well, it is false worship, but it is also false worship of false things so the worship of false things uh, leads to further corruption and we saw that in earlier lessons does anybody remember what psalm in particular we read that we become like the things we worship or we become like the things we invest in and trust in and make anybody remember what psalm that was i'll give you a clue it's in the hundreds It's in the hundred and tens. One fifteen. Well done. Yes, yeah, Psalm one hundred and fifteen is the psalm that shows us that when we when we make things, we become like the things we make. In other words, when we invest in things, when we put our trust in things, we end up becoming like those things. We end up becoming shaped by those things. So Romans chapter one is. Um, False worshippers worshipping false gods, idols. And then what Romans 2 through to 11 shows us, or rather 2 through to 8 shows us, is the transformation of a false worshipper into a true worshipper, Romans 12. So Romans 12, which, which we heard read, um, is about presenting yourself Uh, your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship and so the way a false worshiper is transformed into a true worshiper is by the mercies of god namely by what christ has done for you now this is important this is like really important because i don't want i don't want any of you to think that when you come and worship god that it's some form of repayment or it is some kind of reciprocal action. There is a sense in which you are um, responding, but I want you to understand that the only way a false worshiper becomes a true worshiper is through the work that Christ has done for you. So that if you are going to be the person that God has made you to be, okay, then the only way you will become that person is by Christ dying on the cross for you and rising from the grave. Now, Christ has done that for you. And so now you are actually becoming the person. Children, you need to remember this. You are not yet the person God wants you to be. You're becoming that person. And so everything that you hear in God's Word and everything that you experience in the world God uses to make you the person he has always wanted you to be, or he knows you are. Does that make sense? Okay, so you're becoming something. Now, the reason why this is important is because, now I want you to hear this carefully, that anyone who does not belong to Christ, okay, hear this carefully, is not fully human they are less than their created humanity, okay? And that's really quite important, because we tend to think that, um, especially if you listen to, not that you should, but if you listen to some adverts, and I, for some reason, I like listening to adverts, because I like to see how they are trying to motivate people to do things, and if you listen to some songs, you would be amazed at how many songs that have been recorded over the last 10 years that concentrate on being human and make excuses for humanity. It's, oh, the list is almost endless. Well, it's not quite endless, but there's a lot of songs that you will hear. Um, and I won't go into them because I don't want to sort of ex- expose you to them and then you go off and search them because they're, they're really not worth searching for them. But there's two songs that come to mind eh, in particular. One. Uh, tells you that whatever you are, whatever you're doing in life, um, that's fine because you were born that way. And God says, well, no, that's not actually true. You were created, and then the fallen is a fallen nature enjoys things that God says you should not enjoy because they're bad for you. They actually lead to death. And then there's another song uh, sung by a man in the UK, and he is making excuses. He says, "Well, the reason I do this is because I'm only human. The reason I do that is because I'm only human. I'm not perfect. I'm only human." And yet, when we read the Bible, the only person, um, the only person who is truly God and truly human, is Christ, yeah,', <laughs> yeah Christ. Now when we, look at, when we look at Christ as a man, okay? we see someone who is truly human we see someone who is truly god but also we see what it means to be truly human okay so when we look at jesus we know what a person is meant to be do we un- yet understand so whenever you see yourselves okay thinking well i don't think like jesus does or i don't behave like jesus does or i don't do what jesus does then that's because we're learning to become like jesus And the way we become like Jesus is by 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, by, what do we do? We behold his glory. We worship him. And so I want to state just quickly this morning, if I can, um, what worship is and why um, it is very different than sort of trying to form a good habit. So, if you think of um, your Christian life as habit forming, I want to try and try and get you away from that uh, for a number of reasons, and we'll, we'll see why. So, here's the first thing. So, if you go back to um, Romans chapter 11, the adults can do this if they want to. It says this in verse um, verse 32 onwards. It says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him? This is verse 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Okay, and then it goes into chapter 12 where it talks about worship. So worship okay worship is not making a repayment to god you are not repaying god for what he has given you okay because that's what verse 35 clearly shows us so when you come to church and you worship god okay you are giving to god what god deserves to be given to him or worship and all praise because god deserves that now even even though god has done everything for you It's worth remembering that God deserves to be worshipped because of who God is, not because of what he's done for us, but because of who God is. Does that make sense? Yeah? So I want you to try to remember that this this morning. And then as we um, worship God, the worship in... uh, Romans 12, it uses the word, there's two words in Romans, one's called latreia, one's called latreia, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, and latreia means that worship is a way of life, it's not a habit formed activity, okay, so what I want you to think is how many of you, okay, how many of you think about eating your breakfast as worshiping God, do you ever think when you're eating your breakfast I'm worshipping God right now I'm giving God the glory do any any of you think of that what about when you're having a shower do any of you think when you're washing your hair I am, I am giving God the glory right now it's kind of strange isn't it okay what about when you're out playing you know in the garden or uh, in the yard or wherever it may be do you ever think um, I'm I'm worshiping God right now and giving glory to God right now okay when you come to church on a Sunday morning okay and we open in prayer and we begin with psalm singing and we go through the service of the morning how many of you think that you're worshiping God at that point yeah Jonah okay thanks for your honesty yeah a few others so you're worshiping God at that point <clears throat> thank you you're worshiping God at that point Now, if worship is a way of life, then it cannot be reduced to one activity, namely on a Sunday morning. Does that make sense? And in Corinthians, it says that whatever we do, whether we eat, what do we eat? Do we eat breakfast? We eat breakfast, yeah, or sleep. Whatever we do, whatever we do, We are to do it to what? To the the glory of God. So this is another example of allowing us to understand that worship is a way of life. It It is not just something we do on a Sunday morning. Now, does that make sense? Now, why is that important? Well, if you reduce, if you only think you worship God on a Sunday morning, then you will only be transformed by the amount that you actually are worshiping God because the principle from beginning to end in scripture is that we become like what we worship okay we become like what we devote ourselves to all the way through scripture you see this so I want you to think about this for a moment children if you so boys give me a sport that you like playing any sport that you like Or girls? Any sport? What? You like swimming? Okay, we'll go for swimming. Yep. Gymnastics. Soccer. Soccer. Okay. Any others? Gym. Okay, we've had so two for gymnastics. Any other? Basketball. Okay. Track and field. Okay, you like running. Gym. Oh, quite. There's a lot. Gymnastics here. Okay. Now. Those of you who are swimmers and track and field and that, let's start with the gymnastics people because there's three of those. If you did gymnastics, okay, if you did gymnastics once a week, okay, for one hour a week, okay, but you, let's say, learned how to play tennis for eight hours a week, Okay, now you may not like tennis, but just imagine you did for a moment, and you learned how to play tennis for eight hours a week. By the end of let's say six months, which do you think that you might be better at? Tennis. Is that fair? No, you could. You could. You could have a real ability in gymnastics, and therefore you just are great after a few lessons but generally speaking the more you do of one will make you better than it will of the other area yeah let's take the swimmers who put their hand up for swimming okay we've got two swimmers bethany are you putting your hand up you're a swimmer. okay right swimmers so in fact i know that some of you have been swimming quite a lot so can you give me something that you perhaps find hard to do give me another sport that you perhaps are not very good at or you find difficult? Any, anything? Okay, let's, let's say windsurfing. Okay, can any of you windsurf? No. But because you can swim, you'd try it because if you fell off, you'd be safe because you can swim. Is that fair? So let's say for a moment that you swimmers swam for one hour a week, but at the same time, you went windsurfing for eight hours a week. At the end of six months, which do you think you'd be better at? Windsurfing, yeah, I I think you'd be better at wind. Now, you'd still be able to swim, but you'd be a better windsurfing. Now, why would you be better at that one than the other one? Anyone? Yep. Because you've been doing it more. Okay, right, now let's get back to worship. If you think that you only worship God on a Sunday morning, okay, which takes up, let's say, a maximum of two hours, okay, and you do other things the rest of the week, okay, which you think you're going to become better at. Yeah, all the other things. Now, the way God has shaped our lives so that this doesn't happen is to tell us that worship is not something you do one morning a week, but worship is a way of life, okay? Which means that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God, okay? And that way... We become like, that's how we behold Christ's glory. That's how we behold all the good things that God has created. And that's how we become more like Christ. Does that make sense? But if we do things like swimming or hockey or eating or drinking or jumping or swimming or whatever it may be, without ever thinking about how this might just show off God that God created all of this and look at what he's given me the ability to do and you praise God for it, that if that's missing, then what tends to happen is that worship, um, your, your worship is non-existent of God and therefore you're not changing. So it's a bit like the swimming and the windsurfing. If we think we're only to worship God in here on a Sunday morning... And not out there in the rest of the week, which do you think is going to have the most influence over us? Do you see? Does that make sense? So I want you to consider, children, that when you go home next week, or throughout the whole of next week, that everything that you do, everything that you do, I want you to think about how God is involved in all of it. Okay, and some of them are going to be quite strange, like. Girls, perhaps when you're brushing your hair, how's God involved in this? Or how how can how does this show me that God is great? Okay? And men, when you're and boys, when you're out, say cutting the grass, how does that show you the greatness of God? What is that, what does that, you know, how can you give thanks to God in those type of moments? So I don't want you to think that the way you get better at worship. Is by just forming a good Sunday habit of not missing church okay that's good but what is really good is to understand that whatever you're doing throughout the whole week and parents understand this as sort of informing your children because the type of change that will happen in a child will always be dependent on the level of influence that they are under does that make sense So, we're all changed by the level of influence we come under. Now, this next bit is where we go back to the Christ bit. So, the value of worship in the world, okay, or your value in the world will be measured this way, what you can do for others. So, an employer would say, you're valuable because you can do this, right? Um, someone else would say, Well, you're valuable because you can add up sums quickly, or you're valuable, right? So you're valuable to the world because of what you can do for it. Does that make sense? Now here's the tricky question. How valuable are all of you to God? You can use a big word if you like. How valuable are you? Come. Very valuable. I would agree with that, 100 percent. You are very valuable. Does it, can anybody tell me why you are valuable? Is it because what you can do for God? No. So why are you valuable to God? And we kind of got this answer earlier. Why are you valuable to God? I'll give you a clue. God protects the value of his salvation by giving us grace. But why are you valuable in the first place? And how does God show you that you're valuable? Yes? Brilliant, excellent. Because God sent his son and Jesus Christ died for us. So your value to God is measured and seen And by what Christ has done for you, not what you can do for him. Does that make sense? So if you ever think, how important am I to God? How valuable am I to God? Don't ever think about what you can do for him. Always remember what he has done for you. Does that make sense? Yeah? So I want you to really understand that. To live your life as you grow up, always remembering how valuable you are. Because the world will say, you're only valuable if you can do this for me. Okay? If you can do this, that, or the other. But what God says is, you are valuable because of what I have done for you. Does that make sense? You're created in his image, and you're saved by Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's why you're valuable. Okay. Now I just want to now that we've now that we've got to the bottom, or at least scratched the bottom of worship. This is more for the adults when you expose your or your children are exposed to different things as they grow up. Um, <clears throat> in a conversation, actually, it was it was Justin that got me thinking on this. We in the six for dinner, and Justin said to me, "I think you're overestimating how many Christians in America are." have become desensitized. And I went away thinking about that, and I thought, now, that could be because I am, but I was seeing it in light of Europe, where, of course, um, Europe's in a far worse state, in terms of Christianity than what America is. Here, you still look very strong, you still look like a nation that has a very strong work ethic, Okay, we don't, we don't see that. And so I thought, well, if it is the case, how does a person become desensitized? Okay. <coughs> <coughs> and this is how it works. It works in two ways. Firstly, because um, I've thought about this a lot. Firstly, it's this that when a person blames another person, what they are doing is that they are trying not to put the blame so much onto another person, but release them from the feeling of guilt. Does that make sense? So if I can blame you, I can then no longer live under the burden of feeling guilty for doing something wrong. And we see that in the beginning, don't we, in Genesis 3. So I want you to think that blame is not just not taking responsibility, which it is, it's also the very thing that people do to release themselves from feeling guilty. So they can blame another person. And now I don't... So this is all falling apart. Well, why is it, is it my fault? No, it's your fault. And now I don't feel guilty anymore. Okay, does that make sense? So... Blame is a mechanism that we use to release ourselves from the burden of guilt. Now, why does that matter? Well, on the flip side of that, you have uh, catharsis. Does anybody, uh, adults, we know what catharsis is? Catharsis is when you see something so bad that everything else seen in that light doesn't seem quite so bad anymore. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. So when, when sin escalates itself, okay, what we do is we can, we can point to greater sins as a way of minimizing our own sin. Does that make sense? Well, at least I'm not as bad as him, or at least I'm not as bad as her, or look at what he did. I didn't do that. Look at what he did. What he did was way worse than what I did, okay? Okay. And we use this. So why does this matter <clears throat> when it comes to worship of being desensitized? Well, it matters because I was reading a book by Michael E. Jones, and I came across this phrase um, about uh, Mary Shelley, uh, who wrote the book Frankenstein. And what was interesting is his—I won't go into—we uh, can perhaps do book reviews uh, at another point— but I won't go into it too much, but apparently the whole book, Frankenstein, is a guilt-ridden story uh, by Mary Shelley. She couldn't handle her guilt, and because she had accepted certain views, that guilt just ate away at her, and so she wrote a story about a monster, okay? And um, Elan Vital, the principle of life, you know, the, the idea that life can be created by Shooting electricity through something which is inanimate, type of thing, and she had lots of issues going on. And I started thinking about this in light of well, worship. How does that actually change change a person? Well, and this is what I sort of uh, sort of arrived at. In the UK, um, a load of teenagers were interviewed after they had committed. Um, actions that were sort of out of character and the question was why did they commit these actions out of character so um, parents if you can um, use your adult imagination above a children's level imagine imagine crimes that men and women would commit you know with knives and and guns and what have you and now these were then sort of being committed by children and the question was is why it seemed out of character for a child of the age of 11 or 12 or whatever it was. And there was a famous case um, of a young boy called Jamie Bolger way back in the 1980s, I think it was, was it the 80s? And the two boys that actually brought this other young boy's life to an end. And they go, well, why? How does this, how does this happen? And they began to look at the influence in these boys' lives. And they began to realize that the video games that they were playing, w- which included things like, you know, uh, death and all of these type of things, desensitized the boys so that when they, when they went out in real life, they could no longer, it wasn't that they couldn't tell the difference between a video game and real life. That wasn't the problem. The problem was is that they had become desensitized to certain things in the video game, which then desensitized them, to those same things in real life. So they could tell the difference between the video game and real life, but what they didn't realize had happened to them is the level of desensitization that came across them. So when they were doing this to another boy, it was just like they were doing it in the video game. The trouble was the consequences were far greater because you can't press restart. And so that level of desensitization happens, okay, uh, in the world if you don't consider everything as a way of life. So parents, I want you to sort of consider this, that as your children grow up, every book that they read, every game that they play, every place that they're exposed to, has the ability to desensitize them to reality as it is revealed in God's Word, okay? It has the ability to do that over time, and so suddenly we say things like, well, that wasn't a sin, it was a mistake, right? Well, that's a desensitization to what sin is. You're you're recategorizing it because perhaps it's something that you do often, and because it's only small, it's no longer seen as a sin, And then when it's no longer seen as a sin and it's seen as a mistake, you no longer turn to Christ for any help because Christ is the one who forgives sins. He doesn't deal with mistakes. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, you're becoming desensitized. Does that make sense? So when we think about worshiping, um, it is really important to understand That as you grow up, that as you grow up, that you understand reality um, from what God's word says. And you allow God's word to sort of be your guide through the world. Does that make sense? So that you can make sense of different things in the world by using God's word. Yep. Because if not, if it's the other way around, then what tends to happen is the world will then desensitize you to the things of God. There's that Psalm 115 principle coming back. And so now as we look at the culture and we look at what Christians in the culture are being exposed to, now we begin to see with great clarity not only how Christians are becoming desensitized to a lot of crucial matters, um, but why it's happening because they are not actually, their, their worship is not a way of life, it's just something they do on a Sunday morning. And so when worship is a way of life, you protect yourself from the being desensitized. Does that make sense? But if it is only a matter of balance, as in we do this on Sunday and this on Tuesday, whichever gets the greater influence has the greater influence. Whichever gets the greater amount of time has the greater amount of influence over you. Generally speaking, that's true. Yeah? Okay, I'm gonna gonna leave it there because next week we're gonna wrap up the nine lessons that we've had in one final lesson where I can just bullet point through all of them so you can see, hopefully, how they all tie together as one consistent unit. Um, Any comments or anything before I close in prayer? Jeremiah, please. You wouldn't say that the uh, Jamie Bolger situation was a, uh, that, that was the desensitization that made him a murder, right? No, he, J- Jamie Bolger was the one who was, he was a little boy murdered by two other boys that were two years older than him. He was eight, I think the other boys were ten and eleven. No, I wouldn't say it was it was the cause, but what I'm saying is the desensitization uh, uh, sort of removes any potential um, restraint in conscience. So when the conscience becomes desensitized, your conscience can restrain you from doing certain things, but as that conscience is then desensitized, those restraints are no longer there. So it's not the cause, but it does explain why there was, it does explain the road or route to it, if that makes sense. So the cause, of course, is a sinful nature. But the question is, is we can't, it can't be quite as simple as that. We have to understand, well, how is the sinful nature manifested, you know? And I would say the conscience gets desensitized by exposure, which then removes the restraints that we currently did have. Um, and I think that's like that's like almost anything, um, you know, when you think about it. You no, know. that's a really good point. It's probably one that I should pursue further. Um, let me pray. a uh, Paul. Yeah, so, it, it, so Martin Luther would even... I won't even tell you where Martin Luther took it, but Martin Luther took it even further than that. Every, mom, every moment is an opportunity by which you can sort of relate this to God somehow. So it's not necessarily... Um, worship is a bit like breathing. In other words, it because we are created to worship, it is happening regardless of whether we're conscious of it or not. Okay, the reason we ought to be conscious is because our default is to default to idols. And it's the conscious worship of God that allows us to know that we're actually worshiping God and not idols. Does that make sense? And then... Yeah, so it begins through the conscious worship. So by consciously worshipping God, what will then eventually happen is that you will be worshipping God subconsciously, right? But your default uh, in the Romans 12 is that you are essentially an idol worshipper. And now you are consciously to present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, consciously. Why? Because your default is to go back to idols. And so it is true um, that if you do something more often, which is not a habit, it's more of getting used to a way of life, that getting used to what God has created you to be, then the conscious leads to the, the fact that you're doing it when you're not even thinking about it. Does that make sense? But this is about making sure you don't default to your old ways. Hence why Paul says in Romans 15 that the, the motivation for evangelism uh is based on what god deserves it is not based on saving people from eternal damnation. and god deserves to be worshipped and when you preach the gospel to an unconverted person and they are saved they are then offered to god as a living sacrifice a holy offering paul says in romans 15. so people who proclaim the gospel in the world are like are priests offering people to god as holy offerings why because they're no longer idol worshippers. But when you live the Christian life, Romans 6 and 7, the difficulty of considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God is a constant thing that you have to be conscious of because we default to our old ways so quickly. Pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace, which is sufficient and protects the value of the salvation you have given to us we thank you father god that our worth to you is not based on what we can do for you but on what you have done for us and we thank you that you gave us christ and we are who we are because of him in jesus name amen